Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer, director, star of the show, the great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. And it's time to investigate our parasocial relationship with big stars as we evaluate both performance and perception of personality to weigh a question that needed to be asked. What is the best performance of an actor playing themselves? But first, we need to find out who won last week when we asked about cinema's greatest meet-cute. How'd we do, Joanna? And uh, The Ringer is a completely non-controversial rom-com week. We came out with the following uh, answers. Our listener, Faith, submitted a, a true classic, Bringing a Baby, that got 11% of the vote. Neil came in with uh, Dirty Dancing, Baby and Johnny and the Watermelon, that got 20% of the vote. Dave submitted Titanic, Rose and Jack, that slightly edged out Neil's 20% with a slightly higher 20%. Two votes. <laughs> Two votes. Thanks, Mom and Kevin. Wow. Those are my family members. Um, and then uh, I picked When Harry Met Sally, which kind of ran away with everything. So thank you all for voting. I'm on a little streak here. So probably you guys should not vote for me this week, but, you know, vote your hearts. But I'm just saying, you don't want me to get too uh, too comfy uh, here. I'm really excited about our topic this week uh, as we're talking about best performance by an actor who played themselves. It's sort of a thinly veiled excuse for us to talk about the new Nick Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which you may have heard about. We're going to talk about that a little bit before we get into our debate this week. First, I want to talk quickly about the taxonomy of the meta cameo. This is something we kind of did when we broke down the meat cute. So I don't know, do does a meta cameo or, or a meta performance, because Nick Cage's performance in this movie cannot be called a cameo, um, does it need to have anything 
for you guys to consider it successful, I guess, Dave? Yeah, it needs to, for me, I think, be a performance that's beyond the face. So you could do a meta cameo of, you know, hey, that guy played that character on this other series that's sort of like this, but there isn't really a part to support that or a line or a reason that person would be in this uh, particular situation to make it funny. So I think it needs to be overall additive to what the movie is about. Neil? Yeah, I agree. The performance has to be good. It also, I think, takes it to another level when the film itself allows this larger-than-life personality, because that's usually who we're talking about with these big stars that are playing themselves. Uh, It allows them to sort of have a conversation sort of with their own career. So, And that obviously gives the filmmakers opportunities to do a ton of references, right? And that's one of the fun things about the new Nick Cage movie is that we get a ton of references to other Nicolas Cage movies. But it also just allows, uh, in, in the best instances, and I think the Nick Cage movie does work this way, it allows that person, that, that celebrity brand, to sort of have a conversation with themselves about themselves. Like the, the, the self-referential snake eating its own tail, I think is very important to this subgenre. I think it's really fun if it engages directly with a person's like persona or reputation and in the most ideal circumstance reveals that this person has a sense of humor about themselves, mm-hmm. that they're able to mock themselves. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of Hollywood, big Hollywood stars that could never do right. a movie like right, this, right? Because right. yeah. they have no sense of like <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. there might be a Tom Cruise movie where Tom Cruise plays Tom Cruise, but it's not going to be the one that any Tom Cruise fan wants to see. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Give Tom <laughs> or Cruise some credit for like Tropic <laughs> Thunder. But like, I think that um, it also, I think, comes at a very specific time. Like you when we were looking up examples, there's definitely a time when there was like a huge influx of these kinds of cameos. And I think it started in like the late nineties and then like leading into the early aughts. And maybe Dave's pick is like an inspiration, but I think part of it has to do with our relationship with celebrity. Like for a long time in Hollywood, celebrity needed to be this sort of glossy, perfect, you know, aspirational figure that was only seen in the best of lights. And, you know, the press was existed to mostly boost them up and make them this like sort of unattainable, perfect standard and then hollywood i think started to have a sense of humor about itself around Mm -hmm. like the turn of the millennia and then i would say now a celebrity cameo i mean with the exception of this movie we're about to talk about but i think the celebrity cameo now is not doesn't maybe doesn't have quite as much juice because of social media and the way that we think of celebrity now which is just like we watch celebrities have breakfast all the time so the watch them be like their ordinary selves or whatever is not is not as rare as it was maybe at the height of this phenomenon. Do you guys yeah, think that's or true? Or at least the bar has been raised because I do think uh, earlier in cinema history, it could just work almost like a cameo or as like a pop-up, uh, but maybe didn't have to be like a full skewering. These days, I get excited by like like social media uh, cameos more than I get excited by like star cameos. Like in the newest um, Scream movie, the hosts from the Dead Meat podcast show up talking about a fictional Ryan Johnson stab movie. And I was like freaking out. I loved it. I think it's anything you could have a parasocial relationship with. 
I think if you you feel like you know this actor or performer and you know them beyond their work, so what you were talking about, Joanna, sort of having more access to them, it makes it uh, more exciting when you see them on screen. And when you see them on screen being the thing that you always sort of pictured they were, uh, whether or not you actually know them. I, I, know kind of, I think I think the opposite. Like, I think it's better when a celebrity leans into, like, the worst version of themselves, like the worst idea you might have about them or undercut the per- the like if they've got a nice persona to undercut that entirely and that means like along with the the uh, performance comes a critique of celebrity or a critique of the film industry or a critique of hollywood in general and i think i don't know when you see those social media figures pop up like a tiktoker etc that doesn't have the same juice for me because they're not they're not usually critiquing themselves. You weren't like, oh, hey, laser beam in, in Free Guy. This is yeah. the pinnacle of no co- culture. Uh, but there is a cam, a celebrity cameo of Free Guy. But but okay, so let's talk about this this movie itself, The Invariable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, it stars Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. There's also uh, you will have seen this in the trailer, so I don't think it's a spoiler to say. There's also like this younger version of Nick Cage called Nikki. Uh, mm-hmm. who sort of haunts him as sort of like this extension of his of his brain. But basically, Nick Cage, down on his luck in Hollywood, mirroring the real Nick Cage's recent spate of smaller films that he made to sort of pay off some of his infamous debts that he's accrued over the years, uh, takes a gig appearing at a, uh, a rich guy's birthday party in Spain. The rich guy played by Pedro Pascal, uh, who may or may not be embroiled in some uh, some crime, and Nick Cage himself gets embroiled in the whole criminal enterprise. So that is the setup. There, what I will say, I I want to start with this question. There was so much more setup for who Nick Cage was and what was going on in his mind and his emotional state of being before we get to Spain and the Pedro Pascal plot uh, at all. Neil, were you surprised by how much time we were spending with? With Sad Nick Cage? Actually, no. I mean, I enjoyed the time that we spent with Sad Nick Cage because, you know, the key for any movie, uh, especially a movie like this that is basically trading on one actor's uh, persona and their fame, is obviously to set up a good story, set up a set up your character. And I think that they, the movie does a really good job of giving Nick Cage enough room to set up the version of Nick Cage that we're going to be following for this movie. Cause I don't know if I, it's doesn't feel like a movie that's trying to show me like the real Nick Cage, but we are getting to like crack open some of the doors in Nick Cage's mind and like peek into some of the things that he worries about and some of the life situations that throw Nick Cage for a loop and what Nick Cage talks to his therapist about, which I thought was fascinating. And it's all, you know, in service of the story, as the story is going to move along in the in the film, but um, I kind of like it. It felt it felt patient to me, right? Most of the first half of the movie feels like it's just a lot of setting up the Nick Cage character and the other characters he's going to interact with, and then you know it does what a good Nick Cage movie does: uh, some action comes along, <laughs> and <laughs> and we have we just get to have a lot of fun with these characters that we now like. You know, Dave. Uh, yeah, I really liked it, um, mostly because I wasn't, I was expecting this movie to be, uh, because of the trailer, the premise that you described, what 
it did really well is suspend that first act, setting up uh, Nick Cage beyond our expectations. We get to meet his wife. We get to see his daughter's birthday party. We get to see his relationship with both is kind of fraying all the while while he's like grasping at this acting bug that he is very convinced uh, he has a complete handle on. Uh, so the ability to sort of bring Nick Cage to the point where by the time he needs to be Nick Cage, we're kind of wondering if he wants to be Nick Cage anymore uh, was, I think, some smart storytelling and really opened up uh, the madness of the second half of the movie to like a different kind of madness uh, than the opening part of the movie, which is still Nick Cage madness, but it is very sad. It's interesting because I think there there's a lot that's different from Nick Cage's real life, right? Like he's got this one ex-wife um and this daughter figure that that's you know, as far as I know, not completely aligning with Nick Cage's real personal life. But then there's other stuff like his preoccupation with old movies. Like this is something that's mm-hmm. true if you've ever talked to Nick Cage, which I have, or even just like watched a Nick Cage interview, he will like constantly reference these, like, I mean. Cabinet of Caligari is not that obscure, but like reference like very obscure, weird old movies. This is something that he loves to do. So the fact that he's in a movie allowing it to put fun at that tendency is like something that's completely endearing Um, or allowing allowing this movie to poke fun at him making all these like shitty straight to video movies that he's made in the past couple of years. Like all that, like there's just such like a healthy sense of humor about himself the audition read that he gives at the chateau Mm -hmm. like all like allowing himself to look ridiculous while at the end of the day getting to be a hero um is just a really like what a fun ride for us who have have Mm -hmm. long time been nicholas cage fans and i don't know that any other uh, certainly i would say none of the actors that we've picked today but i don't think any of uh i can't think of a single other cameo or appearance that is quite as vulnerable and all encompassing of such a large figure as this one. Do you guys have a counter example? I mean, I have one, but I think it's one of my, it's my pick. So <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to say, you just described my, my pick for this. Joanna. I disagree. Yeah. I disagree with both of you, but we'll talk about that. But I will say that seeing the unbearable weight of massive talent, it is a good enough story, and I think a lot of that has to do with Cage, obviously, but a lot of it also has to do with just the incredible work that the cast around him is doing. Pedro Pascal, notably incredibly charming. Sharon Horgan plays his wife, and she's, you know, just so effortlessly funny at every turn. And it, it sort of vaults this movie into what I would say is sort of the upper echelon of this own, this, you know, little weird subgenre of actors playing themselves. Yeah, I was very surprised how, uh, bromancy all of my pleasures in this movie were considering I was waiting to be headbutted by Nicolas Cage, which you definitely do. Like the, the there's not a lacking of Nick Cage in this movie, but it also has like a story and characters that I liked. I do want to shout out one other person in the cast, which is Lily Sheen, who is um, the daughter of Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen. So when it comes to like playing the daughter of, Someone extremely in the limelight right. and also the daughter <laughs> of someone who maybe takes themselves a little. Well, Michael Sheen doesn't take himself too seriously, but I could definitely see Michael Sheen like foisting old movies on on his daughter. Uh, <laughs> there, you know, there just feels like there's some nice uh, meta casting going on there as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to wait for the the Sheen movie, the Sheen family movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, not not to be confused with Martin Sheen's family movie. Um, 
the thing that I do love also, you know, without getting into deep spoilers or anything, is that there is a um, there's just like a full range of references to various Nick Cage movies. There's like, you know, in the trailer, you'll see like his golden guns from face off. But there's just a whole wealth of references to his entire body of work. Um, did you guys have a favorite Nick Cage movie reference that's in this movie starring Nick Cage? Yeah. Uh, there was at one point in the movie that he passes by a prop from The Rock and he says an elegant Mother of Pearl uh, arrangement. Uh-huh. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's my era of Cage. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great one. I think my favorite one is a spoiler, so I'm going to leave it there. Like, my favorite one is just, it's such a weird pull. But I think the thing the thing that got me most was the golden guns and the <laughs> it's not just the golden guns but when they show up in the movie they're also on this nicholas cage mannequin yes that they are admiring and it's some real madame tussauds house of wax weird nicholas cage stuff and i think that's great i i want it also to be the suit that he wore in that movie but they didn't really talk about the suit they were really focused on the guns uh, so yeah, so I mean, just shout out to this movie. It's love for movies like Mandy. <laughs> um, yeah, the chainsaw then, from Mandy shows up at one point. That's pretty great. And all all kinds of Nick Cage wonderment. Nick Cage like held such an incredible space. I mean, the movie starts with a character watching a Nick Cage movie and just being like, "Nick Cage, what a legend!" Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? It's and just and it's like, Con Air of all yeah. the Cage movies, yeah. which Put is the like bunny back in the box. <laughs> Speaking of maybe worst accents uh, in films. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is, um, that's the unbearable way to master talent. Anything else you want to say? Uh, uh, three, three thumbs up from us. Recommend. Strong recommend. Oh, yeah. Strong yeah. recommend. Thumbs yeah. up. Go see it. Go see it. And if you can, if you feel safe going to the theater, I really recommend seeing with, with a crowd. It's a good crowd movie. So if you can see it with a with a crowded uh, theater in a way that makes you feel safe, I recommend you do it. So that's it for us for this prequel. Neil, what are the rules that we're dealing with this? Well, I'm glad you asked because the rules are incredibly simple and probably very flexible as we go through some of our picks. Uh, But in order to nominate someone for best performance by an actor playing themselves, it must be the actor in either a movie or TV show playing themselves. Or, well, we'll get to it in a little bit. There's one, I feel like there's at least one in our picks that is not necessarily specifically named themselves, but it's basically themselves. And we should say you said film or television, but we're, we're, we decided to keep it mostly film in this. Mostly film. Yeah. yeah I think that's, that's where we leaned in our prep, but we are going to mention some, some TV stuff here in the, uh, in our sort of pre-trial segment. So for our category crown this week, we are nominating the entire cast of the British TV series Extras. And Joanna, you have brought a clip. Is that correct? Yeah. I just want to let you know that the woman that you will hear uh, in this clip, a Game of Thrones actress, has a condom that has been like tossed and is dangling from her hair and is tossed by the male voice. Some real something about clip. Mary vibes. So just, just you need to know the visual that goes with what you're about to hear. All right. Uh, um, can I have my Donnie back? 
May I have my Johnny back? May I have my Johnny back? Please. Yeah. It's not called a Johnny, though, is it? Durex? No. That's a brand name. May I have back my prophylactic or sheath? May I have my prophylactic? Tick. Tick. Prophylactic. Can I, can I have it, please? Yes. Excuse me. Haven't you forgotten something? Oh, thank you, Dame Diana. That's, uh, that's Daniel Radcliffe and Dame Diana Rigg. Yeah, that's da- that, uh, more specifically, it's Daniel Radcliffe asking for his prophylactic back <laughs> from <laughs> Dame, Dame Diana, Diana Rigg. <laughs> the best part about extras, you know, like people would come on and play like their worst versions of themselves. My my like top favorites are Daniel Radcliffe because he he's just like trying to hit on the female lead of extras. That whole mm-hmm. he's just trying to be like more of a he's a boy trying to be a man in that uh thing, and he unfurls this condom like an unwrapped condom and it's talking about how he's going to use it. And then he's just twirling around and it lands on Diana Rick's head or there's um, Orlando Bloom. Who's like really upset that the female lead in the extras is not attracted to him. She's like, eh, and he's like stressed out about it the whole uh, episode or when Kate Winslet goes on a rant about how, like what does she have to effing do to get an Oscar like star in a Holocaust <laughs> movie. And then Kate Winslet went to star in a Holocaust movie and got an Oscar. So, um, yeah, extras. Yeah. What a extras, show. legendary in its ability to play with our perceptions mm-hmm. of the people who ended up on extras. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's our crown, uh, our category clown this week. We're bringing it back. Um, mostly just uh, sort of swaths of things that we have disqualified. So we're disqualifying soft bits on talk shows. You can think like Matt Damon v. Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, that doesn't count. Uh, and anyone doing a guest appearance on a show with the Muppets. Those are generally considered to be PR moves, and even though those are cameos, also we need to restrict Dave's ability to pick say. Muppet-related stuff <laughs> for these trials. This is just an- Damn it. anti-Dave Muppet agenda propaganda. <laughs> yeah, we are, uh, you know, juicing the rules so that Dave can't do too many Muppet things. Uh, okay, so that leads us to our pretrial dismissals, which, of course, every week is a list of great contenders that you will not hear mentioned in this debate. We've got some clips for these as well. It's going to be fun. On this list is Heather Langenkamp and Robert Englund in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. They both played themselves. Uh, sticking with horror, we also have Jennifer Tilly in Seed of Chucky. Um, you know, Jennifer Tilly, legend. We have the members of the early CW-verse showing up in Ocean's Eleven to learn poker from Brad Pitt's Rusty. This includes Joshua Jackson, Holly Marie Combs, Shane West, Tover Grace, and Barry Watson. Can I can I small point of order? I believe this is the, sure. the WB verse. Sorry, the WB verse. This Very is one of my a. one of my favorite, like, who's that? <laughs> Things and whenever you're wa- rewatching Ocean's Eleven and you're just like, oh yeah. Barry Watson. <laughs> yep. They're all playing themselves. This next one we have a clip for. This one is also was in contention for Category Crown, this film, because it has many people playing themselves and doing it hilariously. But someone from a wizard movie shows up about halfway and really steals it. This is a clip of when Emma Watson shows up in the movie This is the End. Oh my God, you guys are alive. You're actually alive. Thank you. God, I hid in a drain pipe for days, like three or four, I don't even know how many. 
And then I stopped hearing people and I started hearing growling noises. Out there in your travels, uh, did you see anything that you would describe as apocalyptic? I mean, no, but uh, I would say it's completely obvious what's what's going on here. I mean, it's a it's a zombie invasion. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was a real moment for Emma Watson, right? Like. I think she had like just really been Hermione up until that appearance. Yeah, and I think she had also done what's the movie where she steals clothes from rich people? Oh, the Bling Ring. The Bling Ring, mm-hmm. and then yeah, it was just a wonderful surprise. That movie, this is the end, full of real celebrities falling it. Most of them falling into apocalyptic holes. R.I.P. Michael Sarah. Further down on our list of pretrial dismissals, we have Joe Manganiello. In Pee-wee's Big Holiday, where he lists his IMDb credits for Pee-wee after Pee-wee doesn't recognize him. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Joe Manganiello. Pee-wee, obviously, it would take him some time to later see Magic Mike. That that would come much later. We also have, speaking of iconic hairdos and faces, David Bowie and Billy Zane in Zoolander. And then we have, we have, we could have put a bunch of people from Kevin Smith movies on this list, but we resisted the urge mostly because we don't want to talk that much about Kevin Smith, but great stuff from Ben Affleck and Matt Damon showing up in Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Affleck was hunting season. Applesauce. (laughs) (laughs) Affleck was the bomb in phantoms that much. We know is true. Uh, Elsewhere with some big stars. We have Jean-Claude Van Damme who did the movie JCVD, which is a movie all about Jean-Claude Van Damme. It is in French. And, you know, it's the most Van Damme you could possibly fit into a movie. So it accomplishes that goal. Similarly, we have Bruce Campbell in the movie My Name is Bruce, which is a movie about Bruce Campbell being Bruce Campbell. It's very funny. And finally, Margot Robbie, who shows up as herself sitting in a bathtub to explain what the hell is going on with our financial system in the movie The Big Short, which... Honestly, as many uh, movies that Adam McKay would like to make about our, you know, the things that are currently driving society over a cliff, this is probably the best bit for many of them, is Margot Robbie in the bathtub. It's my shorthand for when I'm talking about, like, an Adam McKay-esque, like, when Tarantino was uh, doing the voiceover for Super Pumped, I was like, mm-hmm. the good old Margot Robbie in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> good old Margot in the bathtub. Uh, Neil, I have a question about our pre-trial dismissals. Sure. It seems to not include any sports stars, but that also seems like a notable category. Yeah, I mean, I think we've pretty much decided that we could have an entire debate about the Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Charles Barkley, also in Space Jam, <laughs> uh, in the entire subgenre of sports star or celebrity cameos. For this, we, we wanted to focus on actors showing up, you know, actual actors who are working all the time. I mean... Actors and David Bowie. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I consider David Bowie to be an actor. He, he was, was great in Labyrinth. The Prestige. Uh, the, yeah, the Man of Felder. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we were, we were, we were going to leave the sports heroes who have shown up in our movies for what I assume will be a debate down the road somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to make like six more Space Jam movies, so we'll have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> ah, yes, Space Jam 6. That'll be fun. There'll only be one movie company when that comes out, so <laughs> Space Jam and Star Wars could finally cross over. Oh, wow, fun. All right, that means it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of this trial by content. It's our opening remarks. Each host is going to have one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice, and then uh, we're going to go based on who won last week. So Joanna's going to go first, followed by me, 
then Neil. And when we get the closing arguments at the end of the show, it'll go in reverse. So Joanna will get to close us out. Joanna, who is your pick for the best performance by an actor playing themselves? Uh, thanks so much uh, for throwing to me, Dave. Uh, uh, my filming question is always be my maybe the Ali Wong uh, Randall Park rom-com, Netflix rom-com that is a fine movie, but has an incredible sequence at the center of it when Keanu Reeves shows up as Keanu Reeves uh, to, to be Ali Wong's date uh, to, to spoil Randall Park's fun. And there's just basically like two prolonged scenes with him in it and just enough to make to take this movie over the top. Keanu has a lot of fun with his own persona, his own reputation. But I want to say there's like an actual very accurate beginning to this, which is when he walks into the restaurant, which is right before the clip you're about to hear. And he stops and he greets people. And I just want to say that one time friend of the pod, Katie Rich, was at the Chateau Marmont and she watched Keanu Reeves greet every single person who walked into the Chateau Marmont. That's just who Keanu Reeves is. Keanu Reeves. It's <laughs> a, a legend. A saint among men. But here he is making fun of himself in Always Be My Maybe. Carlos, play the clip. <laughs> Likewise, Keanu. Uh, I, I love your outfit. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Tom Ford made it custom for me. <laughs> I, I didn't know you wore glasses. Oh, I don't. My eyes are perfect. This is for a part. They don't even have lenses in them. See? Oh. <laughs> I love the suit. Classic. Thank you, thank you. It's my uh, old tux from prom. Oh, that's great. I dropped out of high school, went to work, followed my dream. Well, that's Keanu. <laughs> Amazing. Keanu. Went to work. Oh, my dream. All right, I'm here because being John Malkovich has the best of Charlie Kaufman absurdity, star turns from John Cusack and Cameron Diaz and Catherine Keener, but is centered around the performance of John Malkovich as Malkovich, a puppet that is actually a vessel that will allow a large group of immortals to live inside him after his 44th birthday. The best part of Malkovich's Malkovich is when he has to be a version of himself that is a notable actor being seduced by Keener's character, though she doesn't know why she calls him Lottie, and is eventually possessed by Cusack's character, growing out Malkovich's hair and abandoning the acting career to become the world's foremost puppeteer. It's not only playing himself, but he's playing Craig as Malkovich for the last third of the film. After the absolute highlight of the movie, when Malkovich goes into his own Malkovich hole and finds himself in a nightmare restaurant where every face is John Malkovich and only Malkovich is on the menu. Carlos? <laughs> Malkovich. <laughs> Neil? All right. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> now it's on to me. With my pick, if it please the court, I would like to bring one of my all-time favorite films, because not only is it a, about an actor playing himself, it's also about an actor playing a character who realizes that he is a character being played by the actor himself. There are several layers of meta to it. It's a satire of an entire genre and of the entire career, at least up until 1993, of one of our greatest action stars. And that is Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1993 John McTiernan film, Last Action Hero. Let's hear a little bit of Arnold's 
talking to Danny Madigan. You know something? I think you should be wearing this. I don't think I've earned it yet. You don't understand. You just solved the entire case. You just revolutionized the entire history of police training. I mean, all these years at the academy, studying human character, psyche of the terrorist, fingerprint analysis, all the courses that I've taken in surveillance, hostage negotiation, in criminal psychology. I mean, all I had to do is just drive around the neighborhood and point my finger at the house and say, the bad guys ain't there. You think you're funny, don't you? I know I am. I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Schwarzenegger. Gesundheit. Arnold Braunschweiger. <laughs> it's really that last little at the end there. <laughs> I love it. A matter of fact, I liked all of these movies. Uh, the question I have for you, Neil, is how big are we supposed to take your swing in this actor playing themselves? Because Arnold Schwarzenegger does appear as Arnold Schwarzenegger. He does, yes. In your movie. Uh, but he, not in that clip. Uh, attack- you play. No. Not in that clip. <laughs> no. <laughs> and not in the majority of the movie. It's true. That's true. Unless you're making a meta argument that the character has always been Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, which it sounds like you might be trying to do. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, like I said, there's multiple levels to this. There is the point in this movie at the end where the real Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up and um, his wife at the time, Maria Shriver, is trying to make sure that he does not plug any of the Planet Hollywood stuff on the red carpet. I would say the, uh, because the best person playing themselves in this movie is Maria Shriver. Actually, <laughs> Maria Shriver does a great job. She's great. She does do a great job. She does do a great job. But I, I love the meta-ness of it as well, which is this fictional character, Jack Slater, who has lived his entire life as a fictional movie character and becomes real, becomes sentient, only to learn that he is Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a character. So that's I think that's one of the things that elevates Last Action Hero to this, like, next level of meta right it it's not quite as straightforward as you know the cage movie that we were talking about or you know joanna's pick which is literally a cameo and uh you know being john malkovich also kind of has a little bit more of this like meta dissection of of what it is to exist as john malkovich i suppose but (laughs) the thing about last action hero is that it is not just an actor coming to terms with like their own legacy. It's an actor sort of at the height of their power doing this, right? Satirizing their own genre that they dominate, satirizing their own movies. And I think that gives it a little bit of extra spice. But even in the scenes where it's where Arnold shows up to tackle himself in in this giant theater that's being attacked by the uh the Ripper. The Ripper. At the end. <laughs> um you get some great Arnold on Arnold action. And I think that that's very important. Literally. Um, <laughs> I want to actually step in here to defend Joanna Robinson. Neil, we just came out of a rom-com week. Sure. How can you not have hero versus the perfect boyfriend and in, the, in your story about maybe these two people need to be together if nothing else works out? I think Keanu Reeves is much, goes much beyond a cameo. He's perfect boyfriend like no if i'm placing myself in a rom-com i do not want the object of my affection to be dating keanu reeves i can't think of a worse person especially since hot off ali wong dates gets to date three extremely hot men in this movie (laughs) randall park who i think is extremely hot uh keanu reeves and daniel day kim so she comes off of daniel day kim to keanu reeves and ran and every man randall park has to compete against that the thing I love about the Keanu cameo 
I, I mean, it's a, it's a beefy cameo, right? But like, it's still mm-hmm. it's it's still a short appearance. But he does really sort of mess with and engage in the reputation he has of being like new agey, self really cool guy, like all this sort of stuff. He like he engages with it, and then he uh, outs himself as a total asshole. This is my favorite kind of uh, celebrity playing themselves is when they out themselves as as being a total asshole. Um, Malkovich, not really. Uh, I don't know that I learned much about Malkovich in this movie, even a fake Malkovich. But Dave can tell us what we learned about him. Um, and certainly not Schwarzenegger. Like he's not. He's not a dick. Other than uh, hawking his own movie on the red carpet. (laughs) (laughs) I do. That is interesting because when I think about Always Be My Maybe, I think we learn a lot about Ali Wong with that movie. But I don't know if we learn a ton about Keanu. We do learn some stuff about Arnold in The Last Action Hero. You know, we learn about his, you know, the fact that he has a bit of a sense of humor about himself. When I talked earlier in the in the episode about there are certain actors who you could who would never do a movie like this, right? There's even a joke in Last Action Hero about Stallone being in Terminator, and that's the perfect <laughs> example of an actor who would never make a Last Action Hero type movie. And that was, you know, such a wonderful time to exist in that 1993 headspace where we had the biggest action, the two biggest action movie guys, you know, and one of them is willing to be self-referential, self-deprecating. He's willing to joke about his weird obsession with promoting Planet Hollywood. And then, you know, we have these other action stars, Stallone, very notably, who just, they would never, they would never make those jokes. And I think that that's one of the things that, that allows me to appreciate Schwarzenegger both as an action star um, just as a, and as an actor. I actually think he's a good actor and does a really good job of selling the character of, uh, of Jack as, as this, you know, uh, sort of this ideological, like this ideal meathead version of Arnold in his action movies. And uh, I think he gives us a very nuanced performance. It, you know, may not stand up as the best performance in the movie. Charles Dance is also in this movie, but... <laughs> Charles is uh, so good in that movie. You know, that's 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 a tough one for Arnold. Uh, I would say even like Mercedes Rule is probably better in that movie than no, but but it's a really fun movie. Like Last Jackson Heroes is a really fun movie. A really fun movie about movies. Like absolutely mm-hmm. super fun. Um and I think that's another thing that really attracts me to some of the best of this little subgenre is a lot of these end up being movies about movies and about stardom and about I guess acting and again, you know, about how practice will lead you to Carnegie Hall and murder Mozart. I mean, <laughs> really, really good, just historical accuracy right there. Um, but yeah, I think that movies about movies are always going to be sort of catnip to people who love movies and the way they're made. So um, not a surprising pick from me. Dave, can you tell? I mean, not that you have, not that one has to, but can you tell me like what, if anything, you learn about? John Malkovich in this movie. I feel like maybe I'd learn more about, regrettably more about Charlie Sheen playing Charlie Sheen in this movie than I did John Malkovich playing John Malkovich. Oh, I don't know about that. See, the thing about John Malkovich is we all lived through the era when this like came out. So when this came out, who was John Malkovich to you? Like maybe he was in Con Air or Joanna, were you a shadow and fog person growing uh, up? No, I'm clearly a Mice and Men slash in the line of fire person. Exactly. So it's like that guy, but it's never like that guy. After being John Malkovich, I think a lot of people uh, would approach the actor 
with a newfound respect for uh, his his uh, range because he moves out of like the classical and the trashy to become a vessel for a very sad toxic man and uh, two women trying to figure out how to uh, turn their sexual desires out of disappointment towards something that could maybe work for everybody. Uh, Malkovich is shoved in the center of it. And a matter of fact, it's the fact that nobody really takes him too seriously or knows anything about him. They keep mistaking him for being in like a heist movie uh, really early on, like a cab driver does. And John Malkovich like, no, I wasn't yeah, in that the jewel movie. Heist movie. <laughs> the jewel heist movie. And so later on when uh, he's being puppeteered, he keeps being like, I like the jewel heist movie. And like, uh, it's a running joke that like nobody actually knows what John Malkovich has been in. Until the end of the movie, where we get to see a bunch of clips of actual John Malkovich, but only to show how he's transformed into his character, Craig, given up acting and become a puppeteer. I think this movie is about uh, people in general uh, screaming for their artistic expression to be heard, or maybe just their expression, because uh, Cameron Diaz's character is very empathetic with animals and wants to be like a veterinary healer, but is sort of taking on side projects. Uh, but just the idea that in this like boring, monotonous life, which probably feels a lot like John Malkovich's life, flitting between doing audiobooks and uh, local theater, um, <laughs> there could be a big sci-fi change. John Malkovich was like a, a thing. Like he was definitely a thing <laughs> when they made this. You're making him sound like he was on in mothballs when they made this movie. That was not the case. But I, I, here's my question about that. No, no, but he was uh, he was on like a local theater spurt with a reference in the movie. He like was Sorry. was a founder of like Steppenwolf, like the big Chicago yes. theater company. Like he's yes. his theater roots are are clear, but like I, he was still like he was he was a movie guy at the time. Um, I think that um, my question, and I actually don't know the answer to this because I could be persuaded either way. But like, I'm wondering, is there someone else? Because something uh, you and I were talking about before we started recording, Dave, is that the the people who made the Nick Cage movie, um when asked who would you have gotten to play if you hadn't gotten Nick Cage? And they said, Daniel day Lewis and Nick Cage makeup as a joke. But that entire movie, which is built on the persona of Nick Cage, mm -hmm. doesn't work if you don't get Nick Cage, right? You can't just slot another actor into that. Like there's a whole bunch of specific Nick Cageism in that movie. So my question is, do you think you could swap John Malkovich out for someone else and have like being Sean Penn instead? Sean Penn shows oh. up as Sean Penn I, in that movie. I think you, I think you could, uh -huh. but I don't think the movie would benefit from it. Uh, there's the movie starts. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, John Cusack's character Craig is a puppeteer, so it starts with a uh, puppet that looks like Craig, and Craig's puppeteering him, and he's doing this dance of despair, which John Malkovich does in a bath towel. It's amazing. Which is maybe part of the performance <laughs> that I love the most. Because really, you could put it, it, it lives or dies in your commitment to being able to be parodied in this way. So, does it have to be John Malkovich? No. Now that I've seen John Malkovich do it, is it perfect that it's John Malkovich? Absolutely, because he is not a like dancer. He didn't get himself in some sort of like weird dancing shape. And he just has like no uh, qualms about looking or performing normal uh, in this weird puppet movie. So could it be people besides John Malkovich? Yes. But is John Malkovich giving the best performance as himself? 
I think <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand how to interpret that last sentence. That's a very like we are hotel sentence that you just said. But like I think that like Well, I, I mean you could slot you could slot any action hero into yes. Slater's place and last action I agree. hero. I agree. Mm, I, I'm not sure that you could slot anyone like you can't slot anyone into what Keanu like you could rewrite the part to be towards someone else's persona, but like the Keanu persona is very key to what Keanu is doing in Always Be My Maybe. I think you could slot a few different owners of Planet Hollywood into uh, <laughs> Last Action Hero. <laughs> Nick Last I, Action Hero. Again, that does come back to the question of like, would any of the other Planet Hollywood level stars? Bruce did it in Ocean's it? Twelve, so Bruce yeah, Bruce could have done Bruce, it. You know, can Bruce do it for an entire movie? In a movie that sends up the genre that made him famous, I'm not so sure. I don't know that. Bruce I'm, has I don't know if Bruce would have done it. Sense of humor about himself. Um, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, for Malkovich, I think it's possible because, like the the, I was trying to understand why they went with Malkovich, why Charlie Kaufman went with Malkovich for this role for this movie, and like there is this strange allure to Malkovich, this like strange sexual energy, and so much of the movie is about that sort of like inexplicable allure yeah idiosyncratic allure. Subconscious, yeah. it is like fucked up and based on shame and sex yeah you know like a very weird it's way. very interesting so like I, I think there are a few other actors you could have put in there but like the pool is kind of small i think anyway they're all great movies in their own way yeah. <laughs> yeah i honestly think it's it's hard for me to imagine any of our picks being different actors. even you know even the keanu reeves thing it's like you can't brad pitt is almost there. Oh, Brad. Brad would have been good. Honestly. Brad would have been a good one because you need some for that specific sort of role. You need someone that is like on the Mount Rushmore of like sexiest people of their mm-hmm. generation. So that's not a that's not a necessarily a huge list. So um yeah, I feel like that that's one strong thing for all three of our picks is that it is hard to imagine someone else doing that role. But and we're gonna get to this in one of the listener picks, but I think the fun added thing about Keanu is that Keanu's reputation is that he is like one of the nicest, most humble people alive. That he, you know, uh eschews like glossy celebrity bullshit and and you know anonymously donates to charities and all this sort of stuff like that is just like funds hospitals is just incredible human being. (laughs) And then he showed up to be a perfect asshole and always be my baby as himself. And I love that. And you know, it the minute he, in that, in that clip we, we played when he starts talking about how Tom Ford made him the suit, that doesn't sound like anything Keanu Reeves would ever say to you or wear glasses without lens in them just for a role. Exactly. It's great. My my favorite part is him asking the waiter as the first question, do you have anything that plays with time yeah. <laughs> at a restaurant? <laughs> I, I will take oh, that. that whole, you know, whole you know what plays with time and is on the restaurant menu? Malkovich. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's do our listener picks. I'll start again this week. Uh, here we go. This one comes from Corey, but it came from a lot of you. I just picked Corey. Corey writes, my best pick for best performance by an actor playing themselves goes to the indomitable Bill Murray. 
and his portrayal in Zombieland for many reasons. We see his sick crib. He somehow survived by literally pretending to be a zombie himself. He enjoys a little cush with his number one fan, Tallahassee, and at the end of the day is ultimately killed while playing a practical joke on Mr. Afraid of His Own Shadow, a.k.a. Columbus, during a screening of friggin' Ghostbusters. To me, his performance did not seem to be too far removed from his real-life persona. He's a kook and we love him for it. Zombieland wasn't a character, rather it was a facsimile of the real deal. We got to see him and see him promptly dispatched in an inglorious fashion. R.I.P. Legend. Carlos, play us a clip. Are you, what's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it to blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. Suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just played nine holes over Riviera. Just walked on. Nobody there. God damn it, Bill fucking Murray! Bill Murray in <laughs> Zombieland. It might not be super strong that the most fun part of that clip is Woody Harrelson screaming <laughs> Bill Murray's yeah. name, but I do love it. A lot of Bill Murray in Zombieland is further accentuated by Woody Harrelson screaming. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, is it my turn? Yep. All right. So this is my pick. It comes to us from Adrian. This is a great one. Adrian says, I nominate Peter Falk from Wings of Desire, the Vim Vendors movie. Reasons include folks walking by referring to him as Columbo. He plays a former angel who wants to help another angel. And for all we know, uh, this is me talking. Peter Falk was a real angel. Uh, he sketches. His monologues are fantastic. It's timeless and international. He's Peter Falk. For these reasons and more, Peter Falk in Wings of Desire deserves to be in this poll. And I picked this one because Peter Falk's voice deserves to be on this podcast. Let's hear it, Carlos. I can't see you, but I know you're here. I feel it. You've been hanging around since I got here. I wish I could see your face. Just look into your eyes and tell you how good it is to be here. Just to touch something. See, that's cold. I feel good. Yeah. The smoke. Have coffee. And if you do it together, it's fantastic. Ooh, isn't that just life-affirming stuff there from Peter Falk? <laughs> <laughs> telling you that it telling an angel that he wishes he could have a smoke and a coffee with him. Yeah, I was talking to uh, to Chris Ryan about Russian Doll a couple weeks ago when we watched the screeners, and he was like, "Yeah, if, if you're if you want to watch Natasha Leone go full Columbo, Russian Doll <laughs> season two is your jam." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yes!" And then Natasha Leone like makes Peter Falk jokes in anyway. <laughs> big Peter Falk fan, it's perfect. Big Natasha Leone fan. All right, so the last pick we have here is from Larry. Uh, and it is for Neil Patrick Harris. Larry writes, he played a very self-aware asshole version of himself in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which indisputably led to the NPH Assance. There's no How I Met Your Mother, no Tony Award winning Hedwig revival, no series of unfortunate events without NPH and Harold and Kumar. I'm just going to yes and what Larry says just to like give you some context. You know, Neil Patrick Harris is most famous for playing Doogie Howser, M.D., Mm-hmm. And then he did some theater. I saw him in Rent uh, in the 90s. Uh, right around when he made Harold and Kumar, which is 2004, he was in Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. Like, this is this is what Neil Patrick Harris is doing. He was doing musical theater. And he had this, like, che- like wholesome child star uh, sheen around him. 
And then he did this. Carlos, let's let's hear the clip. So, uh, so I gotta ask you, Neil, uh, did you ever get it on with Wando off the set? Dude, I humped every piece of ass ever on that show. Even the chick who played the hot nurse? No. I didn't go all the way with her. Neil, you wouldn't happen to know how to get on the highway from here, would you? Dude, I don't even know where the fuck I am right now. I was at this party earlier tonight, and some guy hooked me up with this incredible ex, and next thing I know, I'm being thrown out of a moving car. I've been tripping balls ever since. That's crazy, dude. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, just just <laughs> completely imploding his apple cheek persona uh, to say the most atrocious things uh, in not one, but several Harold and Kumar go, to, uh, go, uh, go somewhere <laughs> movies. And uh, I, 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 like, usually I'm not adamant uh one way or another about what listener pick goes in i think i'm gonna be up against you guys but i really feel like neil patrick harris deserves to go in because this genuinely was this like changed his entire career mm-hmm. how about your mother comes out after this like we do not get neil patrick harris cast as barney stinson unless we know that he can do what he can do in harold and kumar go to white castle i think he's the best part of that movie a movie that i really love and i love uh both of the leads of that movie but like NPH showing up just changes the direction of the whole thing and takes it to another level. So yeah. I really think it's NPH, honestly. Honestly, and NPH sort of gets bonus points for showing up in further Harold and Kumar movies. Like the fact that it kicked off the NPH Assance. And then he was like, yeah, I'm still going to go back and do the Harold and Kumar Christmas movie is, you know, you just got to respect it. Also, the the acronym, the fact we could call him NPH now. That's sure. that's from that's here, too. The other thing I like about this and a signature of this little subgenre we're talking about is if if all else fails, just have the person who's playing themselves take drugs and it'll be <laughs> awesome. Because mm-hmm. this is something that it shares with the Nicolas Cage movie. There's a really great sequence where they take acid oh, and man. freak out. <laughs> and sometimes that's all that's all you need. Joanna's right. This is gonna be a tough one. I I will happily allow Peter Falk to bow out because I just I wanted Peter Falk's voice on this podcast. And that to me is a win a victory. in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but between Bill Murray and NPH is very difficult. I almost lean NPH mostly because the Bill Murray thing feels more like just a straightforward cameo. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's giving us a lot of Bill. It's, it's giving us this fantasy of what Bill Murray would be like in a zombie apocalypse, which is fun, very fun. But I don't know if, I don't know if we, if we are learning something new about Bill Murray, like, you know, with the, with the NPH one, it's, we're learning that he's very funny in, with being John Malkovich, we're learning that John Malkovich has the sexual allure that no one can understand. Uh, you know, <laughs> Schwarzenegger showed us that he can be funny and self-deprecating in Last Action Hero, and then Keanu showed us that he could be a mean person and always be my maybe. <laughs> but other than other than uh, you know being reminded that Bill Murray loves to golf, I don't know if we learn a ton about Bill Murray from um, Zombieland. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would say of all the picks, Bill Murray was on the call sheet for production the fewest amount of days. Like he was there <laughs> maybe too. one day, maybe two days, showing up to be Bill Murray, to make Garfield references, to allow people to make filmed Ghostbuster references, um, which was a thing that he hadn't done at the time. Uh, now, maybe he's in other movies. Doesn't matter. Uh, but I think like Neil Patrick Harris... 
uh, and all, all three of our picks. Keanu Reeves definitely is in two settings. So he's there for at least two days, I think. Uh, probably more with all that restaurant coverage and all the crazy food they have to eat. So I think, I, yeah, I think Bill Murray's going to be in cameo, even though it's pound for pound, probably the most enjoyable submission we got. I'm not quite sure if it's Bill Murray's best performance as Bill Murray. What's Bill Murray's best performance as Bill Murray? I think anytime you walked into like a bar in Brooklyn and Bill Murray's like, I'm going to be the bartender now. Anytime he <laughs> like stole your french fries and he was like, I dare, exactly. I dare you to tell people what's happened. They won't, they won't people believe won't you. believe you. Like that's Bill Murray talking to the press is, uh, is already Bill Murray. I think being Bill Murray uh, and not not real. But who knows? The, uh, the other, I mean, it already seems like maybe Neil Patrick Harris is going to win this to my utter surprise and delight anyway. But like the other thing we should note is that Neil Patrick Harris is in the Nick Cage movie as his like <laughs> shitty agent. Yeah. So uh, doing a great skewering of of Hollywood. The second movie he thought he was in uh, skewering Hollywood, uh, if you count the Matrix. So, you know, mm-hmm. Neil is out here just digging into his own profession. Uh in this current era of NPH. He was also playing Neil Patrick Harris in The Matrix. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. That would yeah. make more sense. I mean, this is tough because I, I will say, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit, the Bill Murray one is the one we received the highest volume of listener emails about. Are you saying that we're eliminating it so it won't beat us in the final poll, Neil? Is that what you're accusing that us is- of? One potential strategy uh, is if we eliminate it now, we won't have to lose to it later. Oh my god, it didn't, we could, it didn't occur to me. I mean, apparently, all bets are off the table because Neil made a go three meta levels deep in my choice is clearly the winner argument, which is usually my forte. Sure, so only I think this time it actually works. This, t- <laughs> this time there are no Muppets involved. Right. <laughs> we don't have to worry about whose hand is up inside of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> we know. A, it's just, just a, him. Just a cartoon cat detective. That's it. Yeah. That's all we need to worry about. And we see exactly where his hand goes. <laughs> right. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, uh, you know, whatever. It's also a cartoon. I'm not going to. I'm going. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I ought to vote Neil Patrick Harris, too. Wow. I guess it, that way, that way though, if they if people get mad it's at the show, even, they get mad at the show. It's in not totality. even the best Bill Murray is Bill Murray cameo. Here's the best Bill Murray is Bill. I'm just saying here at the end now that it can't like get in. Uh, is cigarettes and coffee? Oh incredible yeah, incredible Bill Murray Talking is Bill Murray. Reason. Also, I want to submit it as an incredible Kate Blanchett as Kate Blanchett uh, cameo. Sure. So wall to wall, great people appearing as themselves. Yeah, I should have done the cigarettes and yeah, coffee. But it, it's not quite the lightning bolt that is when NPH shows up and like the shark in Jaws and just cuts right through that Harold and Kumar movie. A movie just about some delightful stoners trying to get some food. And NPH yeah, really, really fucks really high shit up. And find Neil Patrick Harris. That yeah, that is that is it's the dream, honestly. If you've never All if right. you've never seen Cigarettes and Coffee, I just want to say it's a movie I love. Jim Jarmish. Jack and Meg White. All kinds of people are in that movie. Being themselves and being weird. Well, sorry to all of you that wrote in to say uh, Bill Murray and Zombieland, but it sounds like our listener pick this week is going to go to Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle or the Harold and Kumar trilogy. I mean, the Neil Patrick Harris performance in the Harolds and Kumars. Uh, all right, which I think is going to bring us to final statements. 
This week we start with Neil Miller. One minute, unrebutted. Yes. All right. So for your greatest performance by an actor playing themselves, we need it to be in a movie that is fun and satirical. And the whole movie is about deconstructing this person's persona. And that leads us right back to the wonderful layers of performance that we get from one of our great action stars, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in John McTiernan and his movie, The Last Action Hero. The end. Lots of big director push there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm here to say being John Malkovich. I love the picks both from the listeners and from my other co-hosts. They're in fantastic movies. They are kind of different things from my thing. Uh, Mine is a performance. We don't learn about real John Malkovich because it's a performance. It's a fantastic performance by an actor, John Malkovich, playing an actor, John Malkovich, who offers Charlie Sheen a place in uh, the limitless and non-ending humanity, which is much nicer than real John Malkovich would be to real Charlie Sheen. It's a performance that serves the movie that changed the way we would think about uh, stars playing themselves, I think. Everybody, when they think about an actor playing themselves, if you've seen Being John Malkovich, that comes to mind. I hope it does for you, but for me. I just want to say that I resent my Being John Malkovich rewatch because it made me confront the fact that Charlie Sheen was like such an overbearing presence in our life in the early odds. What a terrible time for Hot us. Hot Shots Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Hot Shots Charlie Sheen. One, one of two and a half men. Hot Shots Charlie Sheen is fine. It was like, ti- that was closer to Tiger Blood Charlie Sheen, was it not? Like, weren't we encroaching on Tiger Blood times? Anyway. We were we were getting there a little bit. It was still 1999. He was still normal. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I just want to, I mean, Keanu Reeves, St. Keanu, full of grace, as I am fond of calling him, uh, mayor of Los Angeles, greeter of everyone who walks into the Chateau Marmont, uh, showing up to to say Canadians are they that nice? No, uh, I'm Keanu Reeves, and uh, is he even Canadian? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's so he's so so funny in this movie, and uh, you know, Keanu Keanu had to crawl himself up to the top. Like John Wick really helped him come back up to the top, and at the top again, similar to Schwarzenegger, at the top he was like, "This is what I'm going to do with my at the topness." I'm going to be in a Netflix movie as a favorite Ali Wong. Keanu Reeves. All right. So to review, we have Keanu Reeves and Always Be My Maybe, John Malkovich and Being John Malkovich, Arnold Schwarzenegger and The Last Action Hero, and Neil Patrick Harris in Harold and Kumar, Go to White Castle. That's it. You can find our poll for the best performance by an actor playing themselves on the ringer.com, at ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you could find Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week when we'll be back with a whole new topic. Neil, what's in the Trial by Content ring next week? Well, this one's going to be a fun one. It's also going to be a little little bit of a diversion from our um, format that we've, that we've used previously. Normally, we've been picking, you know, one actor playing themselves or one movie or TV show. But in honor of Star Trek's new series, Strange New Worlds, coming to Paramount Plus, you are going to pick your away team. And this involves choosing two crew members from any Star Trek show or movie to go with you. You are the captain in this instance. 
on a dangerous mission. So you can choose, I guess <clears throat> the easiest way to say it, any two Star Trek crew members who are not already, I mean, I guess you could choose another captain, but you're going to have to explain that. So two crew members to be on your away team to go on your Star Trek dangerous mission. No red shirts allowed. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, like, no, like hum- Operation Human Shield allowed. Uh, in, yes. In this. We can't guarantee their safety, but no picking directly red shirts. <laughs> Uh, pick real <laughs> named characters. No picking Sam Rockwell and Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, send those your picks. Those things are going to kill Guy. All right. <laughs> send those picks in a few sentences to support your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. You can also, as always, submit suggestions for future trial by content topics. Thank you to everyone who's sent them in so far. We have this wonderful growing list. If there is a pop culture debate you would like us to settle, just send it the email again, trialbycontent at gmail.com. All right, we did it again for another week. Uh, make sure to Malkovich uh, as soon as you can Malkovich, <laughs> and we'll see you next Malkovich. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubovic.